Hi, and welcome to this edition of Along the Forest Apps Road podcast. I'm Tim Ard, and this week we're going to be discussing personal protective equipment. Recently, we were in Greenville, South Carolina, and we uh, had a great facility there to work with, with the Public Works Department. And I did some recording of our day one presentations. And one of them that I worked on was the personal protective equipment, kind of going through some thoughts and processes that should be considered when you pick up a chainsaw. Some chaps, some helmets, those kinds of things people have heard about. But a lot of thought process needs to go behind it to make sure that we're going to use it. So I hope you enjoy this session, and if you do, leave us a comment. Send us a a message at info at forestapps.com, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And also check out our Thursday night saws on YouTube, and you can also uh, kind of look over about 350 different videos that I've done in the past year uh, covering a lot of the training classes that we've done. So uh, enjoy, and uh, good sawing to you. I mean, like, when you start to think about it, how many of you last time when you're operating a chainsaw, whether at home or on the job, you had a hard hat on? Why, w- why would you need to have a hard hat on when you're operating a chainsaw? Now, you don't have to have a whole system like this. It could be the separate components. But why do you think that a hard hat would be important? Yes, sir? A widowmaker. In other words, something coming out of the tree or tree goes the wrong way or a spring pole pops up and hits you. And that, that's really what happens. Did you know the number one injury with chainsaws over the years? There are a lot of cuts and lacerations that happen. But the number one injury out there, and it has been ever since I've been in this business, struck bias. That's exactly what you're talking about, widowmakers and those kinds of things. So if you're out there operating a chainsaw around trees after storms, that kind of stuff, a hard hat's a pretty smart decision to make. And you start, you start thinking through it a little bit. I, w- I was looking just a few days ago, the new uh, uh, the statistics came out from the arborist industry, okay? TCIA had them published. Number one thing there again this year, and over the, I don't know how long they did the survey for, struck bias, even on the tree care business. So you start thinking through it a little bit. How do we, how do we protect ourselves from that? Well, you can look and see where they are in a lot of cases, but you know, uh, accident is an unplanned event, isn't it? It doesn't make any difference how many years you have on the handles, is that if that unplanned event happens, the cheapest insurance you can get is probably in the PPE. So hard hat is something to think about when you're around trees. Soren Erickson and partner, uh, I started off, you know, working on a workbench a little town called Hiram, Georgia, out of high school in 75. And basically, the gentleman I was working for passed away. I was there for a couple of years, and one of the distributors picked me up, and they, they had snapper mowers and Lombard chainsaws, and I worked the warehouse and parts. They got me involved in service schools, and one of the dealers at the service school, they wanted to start a shop in Cartersville, Georgia, so they hired me to open that up, and then I ended up buying it out. And then after a couple of years, about four years, I went broke. I found out I was, I'm not as good a businessman as I thought, still not today, probably. But anyhow, I went back to one of the distributors that I had, and they had Lombard chainsaws and Aaron's mowers. They became the McCulloch distributor for the Southeast. And more or less, I did a lot of work there and putting together service schools and different things. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And then uh, one of the guys with McCulloch, he left, and he became the, na- the uh, South manager for a little company called Steel. You all heard of them? And so uh, it was closer to home. I took that job, and I ended up... Uh, 
opening up a, a service center for them. I came to Georgia as service manager for Steel Incorporated. Then the guy who was a rep with Steel, he ended up hiring me because he became the national sales manager and they had hired another gentleman named Soren Erickson. Soren was a Swedish logging expert. He was Swedish, he moved to Somerville, South Carolina, and he was working with West Vaco, Union Camp, Warehouser, and all these kinds of people. And uh, he had some saw problems. I helped him out on that. He started teaching me on the, the cutting. And then at that point, I started to think through a little bit, and there wasn't a whole lot of training going on out there. This was 39 years ago. And basically started doing some different things with Soren. He and I started a company together, Game of Logging Incorporated. And then uh, the guy who started the program with him became the North American president of Husqvarna. And so we jumped ship, we went over there, they got behind their game of logging program, and then also they started a, a Arborist program called Arbor Master Training. And so I had a partnership in that and I sold that out. And then uh, they wanted to put an in-house training organization out of Charlotte with Husqvarna. And they licensed out my company and Laura and I went to work for Electrolux and put together 12 instructors. And then at that point, I got a little bit miffed after his own three-year contract, get that going. And every time I got good guys trained, they wanted to put them in the sales department. So I, I kind of said, well, let's, let's, let's go back to just us. And about the same time, I found out I had colon cancer. And so I do chemo one week and travel the next week, and now 14 years out, we're still going. And I say all that, not bragging about myself, to let you know I've been doing it a long time. So if I can't answer your questions today, I'll probably call somebody who can. But the other thing is, is that you never know who's sitting beside you or whatever that, that's going to change something about how you do work or life. And so when you start thinking through it a little bit, you know, one thing that people share with me that PPE and a little bit of sharpening chainsaws is what I really start getting involved with. Is, is that that's something that's kind of important when it comes to chainsaw operation. So I've kind of stuck with it. But you start thinking through it, it doesn't make any difference about the rules, it's why are they there? And so a hard hat is, is good information. Another thing is, it's not really chainsaw necessarily uh, as far as a rule goes, but one thing that helps out on situations like this are screens. And so it gives you some face protection. For operating a chainsaw, it's not part of the regulation, but if you're loading a chipper or stacking stuff where there's potential for a limb swatting you in the face, that screen can be a nice feature. Underneath it, though, should be, at any time you're operating a chainsaw, you should have safety glasses on. Have y'all ever heard of Z87? That's the designation for safety glasses. For years, that's an ANSI standard, Z87.1 or higher. For years, I talked about, really, you should think about in your plan having two pairs. Day like today, Shades are nice, aren't they? Be out there working in the sun. But if it gets cloudy enough or you're out there at two o'clock in the morning, if you don't have a plan to have clear ones, where do these stay? On the truck dash, you can't see out of them. So you kind of have to plan ahead to make sure you've got coverage no matter what the situation is, right? And a lot of times I see people, they've got nice sunglasses, Oakleys and Costas and stuff like that. And some of them do have the Z87 on them. They've been tested for it. But then others are just like these glasses. They're just polycarbonate lenses that can shatter and the frames aren't really designed to take the impact. So you have to really look for that Z87 when you're out there working with a, with a saw for sure and some other equipment too. But a few years ago, I was doing a presentation at International Safety Conference down in Orlando, and the guy who took me down there, he was the vice president of this company. They manufactured glasses, some other PPE items for chainsaws. And I did a little talk, basically what I'm doing today, and, and more or less, uh, I went out to the vendor area at this big show. There's a lot of people out there selling glasses. They had displays up and posters, meets Z87, all this kind of stuff. I went back over to Fred, the vice president of this company, and, and I said, man, there's a lot of people here selling glasses. He said, yeah, I need to go around and talk to a lot of them. We produce for a lot. 
And I said, well, they all got their posters up, nice displays, got Z87 up on the posters. He said, yeah, yeah, you know what that is, don't you? I said, yeah, I've read through it. He said, let me show you something. He happened to think he just got this pair of glasses back from the military test. You see, if you, if you look at the ANSI standard, they have a 15-degree wraparound that protects the side of your eyes. Then they shoot out a BB about 150 feet per second. It can't shatter the lens. But the military test was they required a 22 caliber pellet shot out of an air rifle at 650 feet per second and it can't shatter the lens. And I saw this, gosh, it absorbed it. He said, yeah, we have to get the plastic just right so that it'll absorb that energy. If it doesn't, it's going through it, or it's gonna shatter it. And I got to thinking, gosh, you know, you hit that nail or that rock goes flying out of a mower or a string trimmer or something like that, or you got a chip or a limb comes back. You wanna make sure that you've got some protection on your eyes. And so that's where that Z87 can mean something to you. And so, you know, it's, a, it's something where these are just inexpensive glasses compared to what would happen if you didn't take the time to put them on. And a lot of people think about, you know, prescription glasses afternoon when it starts cut, I've got some safety glasses that are prescription. And you've got different overtype glasses and things like that that you can have. But it's so important that we, we think through eye injuries and how we can prevent them. The other thing that's on these systems a lot of people don't think about, and that's hearing protection until we sometimes get older, you know. Uh, doctors tell us about 85 to 90 decibels is kind of the threshold we wanna to try to keep noise to our ears under. Chainsaws run from about 90 to 130. And I was down in Mississippi with console, uh, Consolidated Power, and uh, they just had their hearing week. They were testing employees and stuff, and I was doing a demonstration like today, and more or less I had my, my steel 362, and I'm cutting down through it. He said, you mind if I check the noise on this thing? And he had a little app on his phone. I ended up downloading, I've checked several saws. But he, uh, he was about 10 feet away from me, he's checking my saw. And it was 95, 96 decibels. No, excuse me, 105, 106 decibels. I checked, I checked my uh, battery-powered pole saw, even it was 95 to 96. And so you start thinking through it a little bit, all of those are above the level. And uh, when the standards came out in 94, we were doing a thing for Tennessee Valley Authority, Kingsport, Tennessee, up on a mountainside. Had a bunch of loggers up there. Someone was taking half the group, and then I was talking about half the group with the PPE. And, and more or less, uh, we, uh, I got to the ears, and this one guy stood up. He said, you know, I don't know why they're getting involved in our business. He said, you know, you can't hear cars and trucks and equipment coming. You can't hear limbs falling out of the tree. I, if I plug up my guy's ears, they don't listen to me now. They won't listen to me at all, you know. And he, he kept going. I said, yeah, you know, I, I understood that. But when, when I was in my shop, if I had a lot of noise, I put earplugs in. I could actually hear better through the noise sometimes. Another guy stood up, started raising cane. He said, oh, there's a bunch of bull. They just get involved in our business for nothing. I said, look, don't shoot the messenger, but let's take a little Breaks, getting kind of heated. Believe it or not, at the break, this guy came up to me. He said, I heard what they said. They don't understand tinnitus, do they? And I'd heard the term. I didn't know how to explain it. He said, yeah, he said, I got a little story I share with you. I use with some of my customers. Get to talk with a guy. He's an eye, ear, nose, and throat doctor in Kingsport, Tennessee. His son was going to work with his brother-in-law. had a logging operation for the summer. And he said, well, I heard about the class. And he said, I cut a lot of firewood. So we decided to come up here and, and listen through it a little bit. And he said, I heard what they said. He said, a little story I use. He said, you go out here, get in your car, your truck. And he said, you know, you got your radio sounding good. You drive home. He said, you go inside, get a good night's rest. Tomorrow morning, you come out and you crank up the vehicle. What's one of the first things you reach over to do? He said, you turn the radio down, don't you? He said, sounding good today. He said, tonight we get a little rest. Tomorrow morning, it blacks us in, knocks us into the back seat. He said, if we don't get that rest, it stays up at a higher level. And said, all of a sudden, we have permanent hearing damage that doesn't go away. He said, so that's the reason why you want to try to keep that level below about 85 to 90. 
And so all the chainsaws, a lot of equipment you operate, it's above that. So when you get ready to retire, you want to be able to not only watch the fish, but you want to be able to listen to them sometimes. So it's so important that we protect the hearing that we have. So what you look for is an NRR rating. That's noise reduction rating. These are about 25, takes 100 decibels down to about 75. You've got plugs that go up to about 33. If you work in an airport, you may have 180 decibel reduction. So there's all these different things that are out there. And it's all on the system with the chainsaw you can use, but separate components is important. On down, how many of you actually have read an operator's manual on chainsaw? Anybody? Ah, one. Yeah, you know, OSHA says that your first form of training you should have on any equipment that you operate is the operator's manual from the manufacturer. And I talked to a lot of people, and very few have ever read the operator's manual, especially with city, county, and state, because a lot of times, you know, you get a group of saws in for storm, get them prepared or whatever, and somebody takes all the paperwork and puts it in a drawer somewhere and nobody sees it. But the operator's manual is important when you've got different models and different types of saws and different types of equipment. If OSHA were to check you out doing a storm cleanup or something like that, the first question, one of the first questions I ask you is, where's your operator's manual? Are you familiar with that? What kind of training have you had? And that, that's where they start their conversations in many cases. And so, you know, no matter what equipment you're on, on your cars and your trucks and your, and your uh, tractors, it's usually rolled up under a seat or in an envelope or something. But the chainsaw stuff's back here at the warehouse somewhere, you know. But it's something where you can Google it on your phone nowadays. Most of the models have an owner's manual online, but it used to not be that way. But you start thinking through it, what's important in there? Well, when the standards came out in 94, one of the things that they didn't list was gloves for an operator with a chainsaw. They said, now, if you're sharpening chain, it falls under the sharp standard, which is general industry, and you have to have gloves on to keep from slicing and dicing your fingers. But as far as just holding the handles and operating the saw, it wasn't in the OSHA standard for the 1910-266, which is kind of the logging standard. But about a year later, they came back and said, well, actually, it is. They said that anything that's in the operator's manual from the chainsaw manufacturer automatically goes into that standard. And so I don't know of a single one with the manufacturers that doesn't list gloves for a couple reasons. First of all, over the years, the left hand was a number one cut area. It's now moved to third place, left leg, right leg, and left hand, according to the stats. And what would happen is somebody cuts a sapling or something, they reach over to grab it, or they cut a limb, it starts to go the wrong way, you take your hand off the saw, and it comes in contact with the chain. So that's the way it happens. Some people hold stuff, you know, and they say the smart ones use somebody else to hold it. But it is something to where you want to think about. You really don't want to take a hand off the saw and you don't want anybody holding something for you. And so you want to try to think about that. That protects your hands. The other thing is, is that vibration can affect you. Whether it's on a saw, trimmer, whatever, you want to make sure that you try to limit the vibration because that causes you to lose blood flow to your hands and you can end up with numbness and loses some grip and things sometimes. So and that also happens with fatigue. So gloves are an important thing. When I talk to a lot of people, they say, I don't like to wear gloves. You know, I can't get gloves that fit very well. And if you don't have them fit very well, you know, then they're hanging off your hands, they're too bulky. But one of the things that a guy was showing me, and I use mittens, Soren got me started on those, is, is that uh, you're able to put your fingers tight together. And a guy in Europe was showing me, he said, just separate your fingers and press, then put your fingers tight together and press. If you're gonna hold a rake, shovel hoe, chainsaw, pull a rope all day, if you keep your fingers together, you keep a better grip with less fatigue. And so if your, hand, if your gloves are too bulky in between the fingers, it makes it tough to be able to get a good grip. But most of the, the finger styles like this, this has some chainsaw resistance in the back of it, but the mittens offer the ability to keep your fingers together. And so Soren got me started on those, I'm just used to them. But you wanna make sure that your gloves fit properly and when you're operating chainsaws, you wanna think about having them on. On down another area uh, has to do with visibility. 
and I don't know what the best color is. One guy down in Mississippi told me camouflage is the best thing to have in the woods, you know. And I said, how do you figure that? How do you figure that's safe to go? He said, they can't hit you with a tree if they can't see you. I thought that's pretty sharp. It's not the color, is it? But I see y'all shop the same spot, huh? Everybody's got the same vest on. But it's something where, you know, naturally the high visibility is something easier to, to see, isn't it? I actually was reading one report up in New England that actually causes cars and things to kind of veer towards you sometimes. But I'll take my chances because if you're out there and it's close to dark and you've got a dark shirt on, there's a good chance they're not going to see you at all. So, you know, you, you, you take a better chance with the high vis. And that's probably the biggest thing on this. But there are some garments out there that uh, have some upper body protection. There's a lot of slips, trips, and falls that happen with saws. And so a little bit of this sometimes with storm stuff, working out of buckets or climbing, a lot of times people have these. This company's got one, Husqvarna's got one, Steel's got one. So they are available, but there's not really a standard on it. And then the other thing that's uh, probably very important nowadays, because like I said, the first place to cut now is the left leg. You lose control of the saw, it generally goes down. So leg protection is something that is important. It should go from your waist down to the turn of your ankles. You don't want it so short that it exposes your ankles and the shins, and you don't want it so long that it's going off the end of your toes either where you hang up on it, but you want to make sure it's a proper fit. And uh, one thing people ask me, said, you know, how, what size should I have, you know? Well, pants are sized by the inner seam. So if you wear 32 pants, you add four inches to it, and that'll usually give you the proper length on the chaps. So if you wear 32 pants, it'd be 30, what, 36 inch chaps is what you would get, and that usually puts them in the right spot. But uh, that's something where you, you really want the proper, proper fit. And then uh, some of them have uh, straps like this with buckles. Some are zippers, some are Velcro. Some have a wrap around the back. These are just called the strap type chaps. And then uh, the pants that I have on actually have the same pads in them. And so there are a lot of different uh, configurations that are available. But uh, a couple things to look for let you know that they're designed for a chainsaw. And that's UL classified. Either that or U.S. Forest Service procurement standard, they'll have a little marking on there. And then the other thing that's important really is the care instruction label once you start to use them. And uh, these, things, these things work off of jamming. And I took a, a steel 361 wide open, about 13,600 RPM, put it around a log because I have a hard time finding volunteers for it. But uh, took the saw wide open and put into it. It went through two layers and just jammed the saw right up. And that's what it's designed to do. They're not designed to be cut proof necessarily but they are hopefully gonna give you reaction time by choking the saw down. And that's, that's how it works. OSHA specifies that the leg protection be out of a ballistic nylon. You've heard the term Kevlar. That's a yellow or gold fibers, DuPont, ballistic nylon fiber. This is called Prolar, this company has. Steel uses Avatec by Inchtex. Uh, Husqvarna has that same material with Modal in it. So there's different ones that are out there that are considered to be ballistic nylon. But, uh, most of them with the chainsaw styles, it's in this wider type material and, and more or less uh, it's not as much the, the fiber as how it's woven that really makes a big difference. And so uh, that one stopped it pretty good. And you can see it didn't, didn't cut through at all. Occasionally I do have them cut through and do demonstrations like this, but in most cases it, it stops it up pretty good. It wraps around the bar chain and sprocket and just chokes it right down. Now, important thing to think about though is the care instruction label. If you do hit it with a chainsaw, you just can't duct tape back over it and go back to work. It's, it's pretty much done its due. And the other thing is you want to try to keep them as clean as possible. And a uh, situation there, this is a pair I, I got off a young fellow up in Wisconsin back years ago. And this was one of the dirtiest pair I'd seen to that date. And I was doing a little testing uh, to see what happens when these things get so dirty. And so uh, I traded him out another pair, took his chainsaw, put it around a log. And you see it didn't do quite as good a job. 
And my theory was when these things get wet and dirty, and I think he, he told me, he said, I use them every day, and I think he did. I think he changed the oil in his truck and skidder and everything with them. I got them home, put them in a pillowcase, and washed them a couple times, and you can see they're discolored all the way down to the middle. But what happens is, is that when they get so dirty and bound up, the fibers can't pull out easy. So you gotta try to keep them clean. So what that means is don't just chunk them in the dirt and throw them in the back of the truck and that kind of stuff and try to keep them as dry and clean as possible. Because uh, like I say, this is some of the cheapest insurance you can get. Make sure your straps are in good shape and everything is buckled because what happens when the chainsaw hits it, it tries to pull it away from your leg and then it can find your leg under there if the buckles aren't there. So you wanna you know, kind of keep everything in, in good clean condition and make sure all the straps and buckles and everything are working properly. But that's kind of the uh, leg protection as it goes down through. So every, everything I've talked about, head, eye, and ear, gloves if necessary, um, leg protection, that's all stuff that shall be supplied for you. It's up to us as a, you know, an employee or, or a uh, operator of a piece of equipment to then know where it is and pick it up and use it. And I have a lot of people to say, well, you know, I, I, I really never used it before. I, I run into it all the time. But I've run into people also, I was just looking at one on, on YouTube, uh, the other, I mean on the Facebook the other day. The guy had been in the tree care business for 25 years. He had a, a new pair of zero pants on and he said, people don't think the experience will get you out of this situation. He was for some reason got a little bit tired, saw came down, he cut, didn't get his leg, but it tore his new pants up pretty good. And he said, you know, you, you never really think about it until that unplanned event happens. And so all that stuff is, is stuff we should know where it is. The only thing that's kind of a gray area is footwear. Last week I was doing a class and a couple of people showed up with sneakers and sandals on, okay? And we were in the woods. I felt sorry for them, you know, because they're out there and there's this pine straw with bugs and all that kind of stuff. And they're sitting there trying to figure out what's biting them and getting around and all this kind of thing. I mean, if you're going to work with a chainsaw, flip-flops and sneakers and stuff doesn't do much for you. You need to have a good heavy-duty set of boots on and uh, you need to have something with some traction, some, some hard toes of some type because you're moving wood around, and then also some water resistance, those kinds of things, ankle support, because uh, stepping around and pulling brush and all that kind of stuff can uh, be kind of taxing on your ankles and legs. So very important when you operate a chainsaw. And it is kind of a gray area because they, they usually say that just good heavy duty boots in emergency situations, but if you're full time on the ground, a lot of times cut resistant, chainsaw resistant footwear is also required. And so that's boots, not just steel toes, but that's boots that have cut resistant material built into them. And so that's, that's what uh, OSHA looks at on it. So that's kind of PPE. And hopefully that's the only boring part of today. But it's something to where I always go through it because a lot of people don't realize, first of all, it's a rule. And it's something to where a lot of times, whether it's, it's OSHA or it's, it's workers comp or those kinds of things, nowadays, you know, everybody's trying to be as thrifty as possible. You get an eye injury or get cut with a chainsaw or something, that's one of the first questions they're going to ask you is, do you have your PPE on? Because people know about it in that industry. If you go and talk to doctors that have worked emergency rooms any time at all, you'll find out they got all kinds of stories. And so it's important that we think through. But it can't work unless we do what? What do we have to do? I'll show you one. Here's, a, here's one pair I got from a young fellow up in Wise, Virginia. He's in one of my game of logging programs. And uh, this is a, a pair of chaps he had. And I, I'd finished up day four, or doing day four uh, back up there with Wise. And, and uh, more or less, uh, a young fellow there, he met me at the truck and he said, I got some good trees for today. And I said, that's great. He said, kind of up on a steep, you know, getting up there, but it's kind of flat when we get up there. He said, but the guy's gonna like it, some big poplar trees. And I said, well, that's great. 
He said, I really want to finish the class. But he said, I don't know if I can get up there today. I said, what's the matter? He said, well, I, I hurt myself since the last class. I said, what happened? He said, well, I cut my leg. I said, with a chainsaw? He said, actually, I did. I said, you have your chaps on? He said, yeah, I want to talk to you about that. He went to his truck, came back with this pair of chaps. He went on to tell me the story. Monday morning about 7 o'clock, they put him out on the cutting site, basically had his chaps on, hard hats, got his chainsaw sharpened up. He went over, dropped his first tree. When he dropped the tree, he went over, started taking the limbs off of it. He started to cut his... Uh, Bar got stuck because it started to roll just a little bit. He jerked the chainsaw back, didn't have a good stance, fell backwards, and he came into the inside of his left thigh right here. And this is a pair of chaps he had on. He had a steel 064, pretty good size saw. He said, next thing is a skitter had to come back. It's about five minutes. They got me down the hill. It was 45 minutes before I got to the hospital. They sent out a helicopter, picked him up, got to the hospital. He said, the doctor, though, said I was pretty fortunate. He said, I was about three-eighths of an inch from cutting my femoral artery running up my left leg. He said, son, if you'd have cut that much deeper, you'd have probably stayed on that mountain that morning. He said, so Tim, he said, I just want to talk to you about this. I, I, I think that'll make these things work better. And I said, well, you know, you, we hit right at the corner of the pad, had the big saw. There's not a whole lot you could do there. There's not anything to jam, you know. He said, yeah, but they could put more material or something and make them work better. I said, well, first of all, what, what makes you think they didn't work? He said, I got 52 stitches. And I said, yeah, well, what makes you think they didn't work? He said, the 52 stitches. I, said, I was kind of picking on him a little bit. He said, well, let me ask, I said, let me ask you this. What might have happened if you hadn't put them on that morning? And he looked at me kind of blank. He said, oh, I see what you're saying. He said, here, take these. Maybe you could tell people, because I guess maybe these things saved my life, didn't they? I said, you know, you don't know. You don't know whether the hard hat's going to work or the ears or the eyes or the chaps or the boots or a seatbelt in your truck or whatever's going to work. But how do you know it? if you don't use it. So we have to take the time to, to put them on. I had, I had one supervisor with Georgia DOT. It was last week of September uh, last year, and uh, I was doing a class with them as a coach's class. And I ended up uh, asking the question, has anybody here been cut with a chainsaw? Anybody? What happened on yours? I had, um, we were pulling some limbs, and I was actually just holding a limb curve. Yeah. Uh, did you plan that? No, no it, was, it was an accident. And you know, that's what I found true. It's like I asked that question to the supervisor with Georgia DOT. He said, uh, I'm a little bit embarrassed about it, but it just, just have not even healed up yet. And he was there at the class. And, and, and I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, me and, I was at home, and me and my nephew were cutting firewood. And he said, my saw was getting dull. And he said, I took my chaps off, put them on the tailgate of the truck. And he said, my saw was dull, so I put it in the back of the truck. My nephew came up, and he had a few pieces of firewood. And he said, one of them was too long. And he said, before I take it home, he said, I was going to cut it off a little bit. just going to make one cut. So he said, I put it down on the ground, cranked up my chainsaw, started to cut. My chain's dull, so I'm pushing on it a little bit. Well, the piece rolled out of the way, went right into his right knee, 11 stitches. He said, I'm a little bit embarrassed. He said it four times. He said, my chaps were sitting right on the tailgate beside me. Yeah, my chaps were sitting right on the tailgate beside me. I told him, I said, I don't think I've talked to too many people that got cut with the chaps on. And he said, I didn't have them on. I said, yeah, you did too. They were on your tailgate. <laughs> they can't work unless you put them on your body, right? And so it's important that we think through that. And so that's, that's PPE.